I am a dad. And as a dad, I have raised and am continuing to raise three sons. I have one out of the house. You saw him up here just a little bit earlier. But, uh, and I, I, it's, I'm so glad that he's not glad he's out of the house. I need to stop right there on that one right there. But, but I'm, just, I'm just so glad to see him doing God's work and, and he's moving forward in his life and being independent. But uh, I still have two sons at home. And uh, my, my youngest son is learning to drive right now, and he's just finished his, his driving school, and he has his permit, and it's, it's kind of fun. He's getting in all the hours necessary so that, on, so that as soon as he turns 16, he can go ahead and take that driving test. And, and, and it, it's fun raising sons. I love spending time with my boys, love investing in them. But, but from time to time, they will ask um, Dad, I need this. I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want, I want. May I need, I need. You guys know, any of you who are a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and sometimes, you know, it's just... What, you know, one of my sons just, just you know, recently said, Dad, I need an iPhone uh, 9.3 gigawatt uh, XP. Uh, just, I, I, I need that. And, and I'm doing, no, you don't need that. But yes, I do. I, I need that because the one I have is so old. It's a 4S. Like life is rough in the 4S world. You know? so, so it's just, it's, it's sometimes I have to say no. Uh, other times, maybe one of my sons have said, hey, I'm Dad. I'm wanting to go and hang out with these guys. I'm going to go have a good time. And, and I find out who he's going to hang out with and maybe some of the people that are present. And I will say, no, I don't want you to. And it's like, Dad, come on, come on, come on. And, and I have to say, I know things that you don't know. And so I'm protecting you. But I don't want to, I'm such a good person. I just have to say, it's not that I don't trust you. It's I just don't trust the enemy. And, and through this, some of those people I don't trust. And I like them. And I know you like like them, but I don't necessarily trust them. So, so dads occasionally have to say no. Sometimes I explain. Sometimes I just say no, and they ask for the explanation. I said no just means no, and I'm not going to get into the details. Uh, sometimes they're mad at me. Uh, other times, a little bit later, or when I explain it, maybe they're enthralled with dad's wisdom. Like, ooh, dad, you are so wise. And I love that when they do that. That doesn't happen very often, but, but they do. But when you're asking dad for something, it's really, it's okay when dad says no. We can deal with that. Dad says no, and we can handle it. But what happens when you feel like God is saying no? And when God says no, uh, we can say, hey, but, but God, please understand, all I want is for this deal to close. All I want is a raise. All I want is a car that's dependable. All I want is my stomach to heal, or, or all I want is for my husband to start living for you, or all I want is a beautiful wife. And, and we ask, and we do this all the time. We ask, and we ask God. In fact, it was interesting, I found a statistic this week that says 99% of Americans say that they pray. That means 99% of Americans ask God for stuff. So that's huge, especially if you know the other stats that say that, that, that a much lower number even believe that God exists in the first place. So I, I, don't, I don't even get that. But, but people pray, especially when the heat is on. It's innate within us. We simply pray. And people ask God to do a variety of things. We ask God typically for help when we're in a pinch, when we're uh, at a crisis or there's a roadblock in front of us. We don't know what to do. And, uh, but sometimes 
God deals with us the way that a dad deals with his sons. And that is our dilemma. We sometimes ask God for something and nothing changes. And everyone in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm going to just get into this tough topic here. And let's deal with it. You ask and there's, there's silence. Uh, or maybe God says no or nothing changes and you get frustrated. And what do you do? And, and sometimes, quite often, what happens is our faith flip-flops. And that's what I titled today's message, Faith Flip-Flops. Because you had faith, but now you have no faith. Because you tried faith and faith didn't work, so you're on this emotional roller coaster. And to balance your emotions out, you basically just say, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to kind of just forget it all. Forget it, God. And your faith just flip-flops. Now, in order to talk about this and, and really get into the guts of it, we kind of have to go back to the foundation. So I want to talk about the foundation. In this series, we're talking a lot about faith, and, and I, I had a great time the last two weeks talking about this, but, but the, the foundation of faith is this, and this is really, really important. Faith is not an experience. Faith is a person, and that person is Jesus. And because of the way, though, that our brains work, and we, we try to put faith into a formula. In fact, last week I talked about what I called faith forensics. We talked about what faith is and what faith isn't, how faith works, how faith doesn't work. But the biggest part of this fact is that you cannot put faith on a chart. You can't say, step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. I mean, our brains try to make that happen, especially the Western mindset, our educated mindset. We try to do that, but uh, it's, it just doesn't work. And, and the, a lot of times we do that because we've had a positive experience with faith, and we're kind of like Pavlov's dogs, or we're kind of like a, 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 a mouse in a maze. We, we gets faith to work, and we say, aha, that's the formula. I, I remember the formula now. It works like this. I pray three times. I eat only vegetables for a few days. I give offerings for five weeks at church. Then I go to the Friday Marketplace Church luncheon, and I not only serve, but I bring a guest, and then I tell someone on the street, Jesus loves you. I help out a homeless person, and bam, all the elements come together, and faith works. That's the formula, and, and the truth is our minds do that, but that's not how faith actually works. See, the reason faith works is because of this. God sent his son, Jesus, into this world to be our savior. Jesus lived his life. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. And then hundreds of people witnessed this resurrected Christ who had come back from the grave. He, had been, he was crucified in front of the whole city, yet hundreds of people saw him alive and walking around for days afterwards. And people talked about what they had seen with their own eyes. And that's why we believe what we believe. But someone may look to your life or look at you and they may question, well, how can you continue to believe or have faith when all these bad things have happened in your life? That's a legitimate question. People may ask you that. People may say, why do you keep believing when your prayers aren't getting answered. And if you're not careful, you'll do a faith flip-flop. All of a sudden, your faith will be deflated. 
And, and if your faith is in some experience that just makes you feel good or, or the hope of an experience rather than in Jesus, the Son of God, your faith will flip-flop because Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Faith is a person who did something in history. And regarding faith, I mean, it's, it's basically this. It's confidence that God is who he said he is and he will do what he said he will do. I'll, I'll say that again. Faith is confidence that God is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do. How do you know that? You don't know it. You have faith in that. You see, that's the foundation of faith right there. Last week, we talked about hope, and hope is important because actually that's the beginning point of faith. And in fact, we hope for a lot of things. Uh, God, uh, God doesn't always, though, give us what we're hoping for. And sometimes we might even feel like God is doing the flip-flop with faith. And he gives us hope at times, yet at other times he's silent, and other times there's that resounding no. So what do you do? I mean, it's like, I've laid it all out there before you, God. And, 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 and we say, hey, God, what's the deal? I mean, everyone else has a wife. Or everyone else talks about how God healed them. Or, or everyone else has this wonderful job that they prayed for. So, God, why not me? God, come on. And so we hope that God will say yes. We hope that God will come through. And hope doesn't happen sometimes. And, and so then we can easily move into the faith flip-flop. And we wander away from God. And, and, and we do this because God didn't do what we thought God would do, what we hoped God would do. So when God doesn't come through, when God's silent, it can cause you to lose faith. It can cause you just to say, forget it all. And it can be absolutely devastating. And I'm just, I want to be honest with you. I don't ever want that to happen to you. See, the problem is this, is that our perfect heavenly father, similar to our imperfect earthly father, sometimes doesn't respond. Sometimes he simply says no. In fact, sometimes it just seems like God ignores you. And this is in the Bible. Preston mentioned earlier this guy by the name of Paul. He was an incredible person. And there's a little story of something that he wrote in one of his letters. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And, and in 2 Corinthians 12, this, he, he tells about a story of when he was talking to God, asking God for something, and God didn't respond to him, and then God finally just said no. And, and Paul, this man, was responsible for taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus, out of Israel into the population centers of the, uh, the Roman and the Greek cultures of that day, into these cultural hubs. He would find out where the people were. He would go where the people were, go to the center of the city, and he would begin to work from there. And that was his method. And so he traveled uh, in, his, in his travels. He traveled throughout the northern Mediterranean area, and he went into Greece and Rome. And, and then he even, at the end of his, his work, he even ended up, in the city of Rome itself and actually got an audience with Caesar himself. See, Paul was a man who became a follower of Jesus after Jesus had departed the earth. So he had faith. He personally knew Peter and John and Matthew, the guys that, that wrote other places in the Bible that we hear about in the New Testament. These were friends of his. And, but Paul believed in this resurrected Jesus 
because of the people he hung out with. And they told him these stories they knew about Jesus. Plus, Paul had this amazing experience where he was knocked off of his mule. And and Paul was profoundly and powerfully and, and deeply impacted by that. You see, what he had been was a man who was deeply committed to the Jewish faith. And he believed in his heart, that Christianity, this new thing that was happening, was a cult. He thought it was kind of like a a knockoff of Judaism of sorts. And so he believed, he thought, I'm doing God a favor. So he would put Christians on trial and he would have them killed. In fact, there's even a story about one in particular where uh, where a man by the name of Stephen was being stoned to death and and Paul stood there overseeing the whole, whole event. He was a very passionate man. He was a very devout man, but God knocked him off his mule and God basically told him this. Hey, Paul, enough is enough. You're going to stop persecuting these followers of mine and instead you're going to take my story and you're going to spread it into all the world. So God redirected his passion, and and then Paul actually became the number one advocate of Christianity, even though he had tried to abolish it earlier in his life. So amazing transformation with him. You want to talk about a man of faith? This is a man of faith. Later on, God even told Paul this. He says, you are going to be so extraordinarily popular throughout the the Roman world, and you're going to become so well-known, your impact is going to be absolutely amazing. So I've decided something here. God told him, I'm going to allow something in your life that is going to keep you from becoming too arrogant or too proud. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like, God, I really don't ever want you to do that to me. I, 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 don't, I don't want that. And he, he said, I'm going to do this so that you will learn to lean into me and depend on me. <laughs> you might go, what, what, why? This, that's, that's not how it works. Well, here's the truth. The truth is this. God wants your heart more than anything else more than anything you can do, more than anything. He wants your heart. He wants you to be passionate about him. God wants you to lean into him. So God allowed for some type of uh, physical affliction, I believe, to assure Paul that he would never, ever become proud or arrogant in his work so that he could actually have greater impact and be more effective. See, there was, this was incredible about Paul because he was a powerful leader. He wrote some amazing letters that we, that are, that's actually half of the New Testament is what he has written. And, and there's, but there's something about him that made it difficult for other people to be around him physically. We don't really know what that is. We know that Paul performed miracles. I mean, he, God's power worked through him to perform miracles. And Paul was called to spread this message and through, uh, throughout the whole world at that time. But there was something negative that Paul carried around. Now, he wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. He said, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, theologians have argued through the years. I remember when I was going to, to, to college and I was studying to be a, a pastor, this is one of the things that everybody loved to argue about. And they argued and argued until I was like saying, you guys are just, stop arguing about it. It really doesn't matter. But, but we, we really don't know exactly what this was. But 
what I will choose to do, because nobody really knows what it is, is I'll kind of lean into what most people feel. Now, I, I've heard it argued that it's all kinds of different things. What was this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that was sent to, to keep him kind of beat down? And, and, uh, and I've heard people say it was just a mean person who kind of followed him around all the time. I, I've even heard that it was, I've even heard this, it was his ex-wife. Now, there, there's actually some, some, there could be truth there, because we know that Paul was a Pharisee. And in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. That was a requirement. You couldn't be a single guy and be a Pharisee. So, so he had a wife at some point in his life, but we know that, that the, the, the Christian Paul, he doesn't have a wife here. So some people say, aha, it's his ex-wife, and she was always on him. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I tend to lean in toward this thing that it was some kind of a physical affliction. It was a malady of sorts, and we don't know what it was, but bottom line is it was bad. In other places in the scriptures, we see that Paul was actually perceived negatively by people when he was live and in person. He came across as unimpressive, and he came across as kind of wimpy, and people like, you know, whatever. Uh, there, there, were some, there were some common thoughts about what this might have been. It was like maybe some really poor eyesight. Some people say he, he may have had epilepsy. It's also said he, it's really one of, the, one of the big ones that people believe is that he had this big oozing, you know, creepy eye, and it was just kind of gross. People look at him and go, oh, okay, whatever. And, and the people who were basically saying this, yeah, Paul, you go ahead and keep writing your letters, but you don't need to come visit us because it's kind of difficult being around you. So if we read the Bible, you read through the book of Acts, which is kind of the story of the spreading of of the gospel uh, in that time. It's obvious that Paul had extraordinary faith, yet Paul could not get rid of his own problem. I've, I've, I've dealt with that. I'll pray for people and believe with people on something, and, and, and we'll just see amazing things happen. I'm going, okay, God, I'm so happy for what you did for them, but hey, what about me? What about, what about, what about my thing? And, and it's, he wrote about it here, and he said these words. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, this three times actually meant three seasons of his life. It's not just three times, like, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take, No, that wasn't it. It was three seasons of his life where he actually said, God, I'm really, really, really wanting you to take this away. He sought God with all his heart. A man of amazing faith. And he was dealing with a silent God. And he was in the dark. This man could make sick people well, but God wouldn't help him out. And I just want to tell you, this should come as encouragement to all of us. Because sometimes God is silent, and and God's silence, though, doesn't mean that God is absent. I mean, this man wandered uh, uh, in, in the dark for a while, and he pleaded with God with perfect faith, and yet God just didn't answer. And then he finally heard from God during this third season of pleading with God. And and here's what happened. It says in verse 9, it says, Then God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. That's one of the promises of God. It's the grace of God in your time of need. What's grace? Well, it's something that just helps us during our times of really difficult circumstances. It just helps us. 
See, God answered with a no, but he said, I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you grace to deal with your issue. In other words, the way I see it and perceive it is, is God saying basically this, when people are staring at you, wondering why you are the way you are and why you can do amazing things, but you're just pretty ugly, then you're going to have the grace and the power and the endurance in that moment to overcome that and just simply keep going. And we all try to try hard to be good. And we, we, we plead with God, but sometimes God just doesn't change our situation. So what are you going to do? Are you going to flip-flop? Are you going to shake your fist at God and, and turn away and say, I've had it with you, God? Or are you going to simply do this? Accept the grace of God to deal with the situation that's happening. See, because if your faith is based on a direct answer to prayer that's exactly the way that you're praying it, you will feel let down. See, our faith, though, is not in the answer to the prayers. Our faith is in Jesus. Jesus, who's the Savior of the world. Jesus, who rose again. Jesus, who gave us new life. And God said this. He said, my power is made perfect in weakness. So God said to him, so, so Paul goes on to say, so therefore, I'm just going to go ahead and boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of God can rest on me. Basically, God's saying, I'm going to allow you to continue to be weak or fragile or messed up in this, this area because then in the middle of your weakness, I'm going to be able to show up and people are going to look at you and your life and your situation. They're going to say, it's obvious God is working here because this, the way I see it, is an impossible situation. See, Paul finally came to this place where he accepted the weakness and, and he did this so that God's power could rest on him and he actually was able to do more. So I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens in my life. I'm not walking away. I'm not going to flip-flop with my faith. One of the biggest challenges I've hear, dealt with as a pastor is, is hearing people's stories of this didn't happen the way that I prayed or they expected. And, 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 uh, and so many have even said, I've heard the TV preacher, or I read the book, or I did the, the formulas, and it didn't work, and that's it. I've had it with you. I've had it God. with had it with everything. I don't want that for you because your faith can't be in that. Your faith has to be in God himself. Basically what Paul is saying here is Paul's saying, God wants me to live every day of my life totally dependent upon him. And I'm telling you guys, that's where genuine faith operates because faith that doesn't flip-flop is based on a person. It's based on Jesus. It's where we say, God, I need your grace. I need your strength and I need your empowerment to show up today because God, if you don't show up and help me out today, I am toast. That's why he wrote these words. He says, this is why for Christ's sake that I delight in weaknesses. <laughs> and that's strange, but this is the man of faith. I delight in the weaknesses. I, de I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, I'm most dependent upon God. So are you weak? Are you flawed? Well, your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity 
to show himself strong on your behalf today. The place of your greatest tension, your, where your fly is, where your weakness is, where your pain is, that's the place where the greatest opportunity for God to show up and work, for, work on your behalf if, if you'll just simply trust him. But if you get angry and stomp off and you're going to storm off in the other direction, direction, basically what you're doing is you're flipping off the grace of God. That's why I, I did choose the message faith flip flops instead of faith flip offs because I thought this is actually a little more compatible. If people hear that title, they'll go, I'm not going to that church. That's scary. But, but that's really basically what it is. See, the, the only way God's grace works is when we choose to lean into it. The grace of God is active. It's there. It's, it's right in front of you, but you've got to lean into it. It's, it's always present. It's always active. And God is not going to force his grace on us. And we have to choose to simply, this is, man, some of you guys, just, this, just grab this right here. We just need to chill out. We need to relax. We need to lean into the grace of God and let that be your resting place. And today, if, if you're angry with God, if you've been walking away from him and you happen to be here today, you know, you basically, please understand what you're doing is you're walking away from the grace of God that you need. This grace that's going to help carry you through your tough situations. The thing is you can't change it on your own anyway. I've been through enough tough situations in my life and I've, I know more will come. That's just the nature of life. One thing I've learned is that when I lean into God's grace, then I can make it. Then I really can. So when God doesn't answer in the way that you want him to, we, either, we, we make one of two choices. We make either the choice, I'm going to deal with this affliction on my own, or I'm going to deal with it immersed in the grace of God. And, and I'll tell you this, I have never, 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 never seen an individual or a couple or a family who decide to deal with it themselves instead of leaning into the grace of God come out better on the other side. I've never seen it. But here's one thing that I have seen over and over, and I thank God just for a few years of life and, and ministry where I've actually been able to see this now. But what I've seen over and over, when, when we step away and say, that's it, I, I, I can't handle it anymore, that's when I see chemical dependency. That's when I see family fracturing. That's when I see bitter, hard hearts and, and people who move from relationship to the relationship and even from vacation to vacation to new car to new car and indebtedness and even moving from job to job to job, trying to deal with the pain on their own, but nothing lasts and the situation still remains in their lives and their lives are spinning out of control. And I'll just be true. Doing life without God does not make things better. It actually makes life more complicated and it makes life more painful. And it doesn't have to be that way. So my encouragement to you today is to make a choice. To choose the grace of God. To choose Jesus. And God will empower you with grace when God says no. Your weakness, your painful area, your area of regret, your area of agony, whatever it is, if you lean into the grace of God, that's God's best opportunity to show his power. And it actually takes more faith to, uh, to endure and to know that there is really a weakness in your life. See, when God says no, 
It's not because you didn't have enough faith. That's not why God says no. God will say no time, many times just because that's what he needs to say. I've seen it happen in lives of people where nothing changes in their situation. And sometimes it just seems to get even worse instead of better. But I've watched people lean into the grace of God. Basically what that means is you're, you, you stay faithful to God. You let God be there for you. You're, you're, you're reading the word. You're, you're in church. You're, you're getting encouraged. You're hanging around other people who are followers of Christ. And I've watched people be able to walk through some of the most miserable, challenging, frustrating life situations, whether it's uh, dealing with a dealing with a, a spouse that's that's kind of gone crazy on you, or maybe it's dealing with the loss of a job or a bankruptcy. Maybe it's it's a situation of a of a painful physical ailment that you, that they've been dealing with. But I've watched them walk through these things with faith, with faith. And it's really quite unbelievable how they do it because they actually lean into the grace of God. You see, we have this thing about us. We, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty of it myself and I have to constantly slap myself in the face to not do this, but we tend to create God in our own image. I dare you this. I dare you. Go home today, not right now, don't do it now, but go home, write it out on paper or put it on your computer about the kind of God you really want. What do you want in God? In fact, I was talking to someone uh, this week and, and they were they had sent me some, some email transactions, conversations saying, I am, I've been considering who God really is and I've kind of come up with my own idea of God and here's this whole idea of God. And I looked at her like, wow, you know, that sounds like, that, that, that's nice, but that's not the way it's gonna work. I mean, if you were to write it out be specific and actually read it, what you're going to discover is that you want to be God. And kind of me too. We all struggle with this to some degree. But if you, if you do that, it's going to give you this false perspective of God. See, this is the kind of God that just kind of follows you around. The God that just kind of helps you fall in love with people, helps people fall out of love with you. He gives you instant tankfuls of gas when you don't have time to stop at Exxon. He's the God that just auto-pays your bills. He's the God who does your home repairs with angels just dropping in from time to time to check on you. And while all, all the other people have to toil under the sun, all the other people have to go out on dates with people in order to, 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 to win their heart and other people are trying to do all this other stuff to make life work, but you're able to sit back and get God just to do all these things for you. See, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But that's the God we would create. And at the end of the day, you and I need a God that's not you. A God who loves you enough to send his son into this world to feel what you feel, to experience pain like you do, to deal with heartache, a God who sends his son into the world to face weariness, to deal with horrible, terrible people, and to die so that you can call on God and you can say, God, here's what's going on. And God can say back to you, yeah, I know how it feels. In fact, the Bible says this. It says in Hebrews 4, it says, we do not have a high priest, meaning God, 
is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. What's your weakness? What's your flaw? What's your pain? It's like, well, God can't empathize with that. Oh, oh yes, he can. It says, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he didn't sin. So let us approach God's throne. It's the throne of what? Grace. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. So we know that we can receive some mercy and to find this thing called grace in our time of need. What that simply means is you go to God. Sometimes God says, I'm not going to give you the miracle that you're wanting. Instead, I'm going to let you be the miracle. And my grace is sufficient for you. And if you spend the rest of your life shaking your fist at God and not embracing His grace, the truth is you will wither away. But at any time, the beauty of this, at any time, you can just simply say, I'm going to re-engage that grace. I'm going to lean into it. And God will give His best to you not be able to create the life that you want to have or that you want to even be unless you lean into the grace of God. So the question is, will you turn your back on God and flip-flop or you simply lean hard into His grace? Because your greatest weakness is the greatest opportunity for God to show Himself strong. question. What did God speak to you as I was talking today? You see, because God speaks to every person individually and he customizes the words that I say. I I plan the words that I say, but God customizes it for whatever you're going through. It's because I can't see inside of you. I don't know. I I can only look at the outside. You guys all look great. (laughs) Some of you are going through some really tough stuff, some struggles. There's a lot of pain weakness. It's a lot of agony. God is saying to you, I want you to lean into my grace. I don't want you to run. I don't want you to flip-flop on me. I want to amaze other people with how you can move forward considering all the junk that you've had to face. I want to show myself to be really mighty through you. As you're listening to God right now, truth is some of you, you may not be in right relationship with God. You may not have even given your life over to Him because this is maybe even be this maybe one of the issues that has held you back. I want to encourage you right now to engage the grace of God and simply give your life to Him. If you would like to pray with me, I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a second. If you'd like to pray with me and give your life over to Jesus and engage that grace, I, I, I want you to let me know. And I'm going to, it's just in my mind, I'll know who that who you are and I want to pray with you. So how many of you would listen?
lift your hand and say, that, that's me, Pastor. I, I am not in right relationship with God. Today, I want to make the choice to get things right. Thanks. Thanks. Who else? I need to make things right with God. Thank you. Thanks for being honest. Who else? Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. I need to make things right with God. Anyone else? Okay, you can put your hands down. For those who lift your hands, I want you to pray with me. And then I'm going to pray another prayer in just a second, but I want you to pray with me right now because this is the most important prayer. In fact, if you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to pray these words with me as well. Dear Jesus, I come to you as a broken person and I recognize that I need you. I need your grace. My flaws are great. My weaknesses are huge. And I ask you to fill that in with your grace. Will you wash my sin away as I give my life to you? Do wonderful things in my life. Do wonderful things through me. In Jesus' name. Thank you.